If you'll take your Bibles to John chapter 13, John chapter 13, and um, beginning in verse 1, and we'll read through uh, verse 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside, and he took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet. And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, otherwise he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. It was for this reason that he said, not all of you are clean. Then when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, and you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Father, thank you so much for uh, this glimpse into your son's heart and Uh, May you protect us from the familiarity with this story, with this true account of Jesus modeling for us service. And Father, may it be as fresh, just like we've never read it before. And we just thank you that uh, you've preserved your Bible. We thank you that you've promised to teach us. And we look to your spirit to expose us to Christ, to see the great, great love of our Savior. And so, Father, we just commit to our our time to you and that uh, you would help us to understand these truths in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So, All right, so we were in this um, uh, very familiar, as I mentioned, the very familiar uh, text, John 13. It begins the, the long 13 through 17 <clears throat> called the Upper Room Discourse. You know that. Uh, this is the greatest revelation of the heart of the Savior is that you will see uh, Jesus' heart like no other place in the Gospels. In John 13, we see the washing of feet and the giving of the new commandment. In John 14, there's the strength uh, given to his troubled disciples and the promised Holy Spirit. In John 15, the mysterious but wonderful uh, vine and branches parable. Um, Then we have John 16, the work of the Spirit, words of conquering encouragement, And then John 17, the greatest prayer offered by the greatest person. And so you find in here uh, just an overwhelming look into the heart of the Lord Jesus. It's also a time of overwhelming trial for the disciples. And those people that will know the depths of Christ's love are those who are in the depths of trial. 
It is in the depths of our trial that we really get a hold of God's love. It's when he begins to manifest himself to us in measures that we haven't seen before. And it's, it's so vital that, that we understand that because we live in a world out there that is hurting, that needs to know the love of God, that needs to experience the love of Christ. And it's also within the church, uh, even under the sound of my voice tonight, um, there are hurting people. Uh, that would be every person under the sound of my voice. We all go through tough times. We all go through difficulties. We all go through the sufferings and the loss of life. And as a result, nothing more is soothing to the soul than to know the love of Christ, to experience the love of Christ beyond just knowing it in your head, but to knowing it by experience. And the Lord Jesus would... would talk to his disciples in this most intimate language of 13 through 17. 17, uh, just a passing comment in John 17, the great prayer of Jesus, the high priestly prayer. When John Knox, the great Scottish reformer, was on his deathbed, he was tempted to gloat about all the works that he had done, all the great amount of uh, labors he had done for the Lord, and, and he, he silenced that, and he asked his wife to read to him what was uh, his most favorite scripture, and that was the last thing that he heard before his death. She read John 17. It was his favorite text. And so uh, when you look at John 13 through 17, and I hope that you will, that you will realize and you will know the depth of Christ's love. And whatever trial you're going through, um, uh, God wants to draw near to you in his love. He wants to calm you in your love, the fears that you may have, the fears that I have. There's nothing more soothing than the balm of Christ's love to that. And in fact, Francis Schaeffer said this, and this is very practical for us. Uh, practical in a sense, as I mentioned, the world outside of us. Francis Schaeffer said this, quote, Love and the unity it attests to is the mark Christ gave Christians to wear before the world. Only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father, end quote. And Jesus would say that. Is it by a new commandment? He would say that in John 13. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. By this shall all people know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. So in a very real way, what we read in John 13 through 17 is this is what is to be our marching orders, so to speak. It's our love for one another that gives evidence that we belong to Jesus, but it not only gives evidence that we belong to him, but it also gives the world the evidence that Christ came, and that Christ came, and that Christ came on a mission of love. And so our love for one another is a manifestation because we are first love. And if we're going to love one another as we are commanded to, we have to first be experiencing God's love for us. Is I can't fabricate the love that we're going to look at tonight. And um, who can really fathom the depths of this? But I want us to look at four things, four truths about Christ's love that flow from the text that we read, John 13, uh, 1 through uh, 17. Now, the goal of the Christian life is simply this, is we want to get to the point where we are experiencing Christ's love and that we know uh, how his love has soothed us in our hurt so that we can soothe one another in their hurt. That's the whole genius of the, of the Christian life. That's the genius of the church, is that we become a family committed to one another, that we just outdo one another, as Romans says, in love, that we learn to outdo, outlove one another, so to speak. And that has to come from understanding what it means to be loved. 
And if I know that I'm loved with the conviction and the assurance that I'm loved by God, I'm loved by the Lord Jesus, then the more that I'm transformed by that love, the more that I know the underlying principle of the Christian life. And here's the underlying principle of the Christian life, that we would walk under the control of Christ's love. That's it. I mean, that is the whole of the Christian life. The Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian, the greatest Christian ever to live, who would write Romans, who would write the theological Mount Everest of position in Christ in Ephesians, he would say this, it wasn't my theology that, that, uh, that controlled me, it wasn't uh, my doctrine, it was the love of Christ that controlled me. And in order to be controlled by something, you have to know what that something is. And so if anything that you get out of tonight is this, is that you have a growing passion to know the love of Christ. That, Paul, that Paul's prayer, Ephesians 3, uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 14 through 19, that you would know the love of Christ, that you would have a laser-guided uh, pursuit of knowing his love. Because to know his love is to be transformed by his love. And to be transformed by his love sends forth to the hurting world the reality that there is a God and a God who sent his son. And he sent his son that we might spend forever, as Jonathan Edwards would say, in a heaven that is of love. So there's four truths, and we're going to walk through this. Uh, four truths. Again, we, we can't exhaust this by any means. We'll, we will not exhaust this through all eternity. Verse 1, now, there, now before the feast of the Passover... Before the feast of the Passover, knowing that his hour had come. Now, this is, uh, this is something that Jesus has said throughout. He's already said five times in the Gospel of John that, uh, about his hour. His hour was to come. Well, his hour has now come. Now, imagine what's going through his mind. He knows what looms ahead. There are 13 men to gather for, uh, for the Passover meal. One will leave early on a mission of betrayal, Judas. The remaining 12 will later follow into the Garden of Gethsemane. Then we're going to have the 11 now are there, and Jesus is going to teach them about this incredible love. And Judas would be the recipient of this, though he would leave as the betrayal, as I mentioned. So the first thing we see in, in, in verse 1, he says this. That he would depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own who were in the world. The first thing is that look at the extent of Christ's love. The extent of his love. It is fixed on his sheep. It is fixed on his sheep. He said, having loved his own. Now, yes, there is a general love that God has for all people. But there is a special love that is fixed on his sheep. Charles Ross, the 18th century Scotsman, said this, quote, I have often regarded this divine sentence as one of the most tender and touching in the whole word of God, end quote. Having loved his own. If you're a Christian tonight, and, and I'm confident of the crowd here, is that when you look at yourself, do you see yourself as beloved by Jesus and he has his love fixed on you irrespective of what you do or what you don't do? is that he has fixed his love permanently, eternally on you. You will never have that unfixed. You will never have that taken away, is that he has a fixed love upon you. Now, let's imagine what these disciples are going through. Jesus is leaving, and they're not coming. And he says, having loved his own who were in the world. Well, how would he manifest himself to them in the world if he's leaving? Wonderful passage in John 14, verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we have the blessed Holy Spirit promised that he's going to come. And he's going to make real to the disciples this fixed love that Christ has for them in ways that they could not imagine. We have, we have the ability to know the depth, the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of Christ's love deeper than they knew. Deeper than they do because he has promised that he would send the Spirit. And so no matter what you go through, no matter when you go through the dark times, when you may even question whether or not you're a Christian, you go through the dark times of trials and fear grips you and you're paralyzed by the darkness, is that you can rest assured on this. Jesus, having loved his own, he loved them to the very end. Is that he has a fixed love upon his sheep. It's a fixed love that will never ever uh, depart. Now, as we read John 13 through 17, we'll find the common themes um, among these fearful disciples is that of joy, it's that of peace, and it's the declaration of love. In John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Can you imagine sitting in that upper room that you're, you're fearful and Jesus is leaving and he looks at you and he says, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that place, it's as sure as you're seeing me right now. And where I'm going, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you there. And you're going to go to that place, and you're never going to have another moment of fear. You're never going to have another moment of doubt. You're never going to have a moment of sorrow. But till then, understand this, that I have fixed my love upon you, and there will be nothing you are more than conquerors through him who's loved us, and that's me. I have loved you. And so, beloved, as you think about tonight, and you think about your own life, and you think about how many times we fail as Christians, let us understand this. Our failure, or even any perceived successes, does not, does not deepen God's love for us, nor does it lessen God's love for us. Jesus has loved us with a fixed love. It is a love that has been settled on us from eternity past, and it will be on us throughout eternity. And that would be one of the joys of Christmas, uh, one of the joys of, uh, of heaven, is that you and I will be able to drink into, from the wells of salvation of Christ's love, and that well is bottomless is that through all eternity we will be drinking of the love of God. We will be forever, ever in the presence of that love that is beyond words, but not beyond the greatest of experience. The second thing, the second thing, also in verse 1, he says he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. What does that mean? Well, does it mean to the end of his life? Yes, which was going to be soon. Uh, does he love them to the end of their lives? Yes, that also would be soon. But it means far more than that. Not only do we see in the love of Christ the extent of it, the extent of it, it's fixed on his sheep, it knows no bounds. The words to the end, it actually means to the fullest possible extent. It means to the ends of end, without end unfathomable, eternal, without conclusion. We have no idea how that, how, how that is to be manifested in our own lives. But here's a small sampling. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, I quoted that to you. This prayer has become really special to me over the years. It was about uh, maybe 12 years ago. You know, it went through a very difficult time. And it was about, um, I don't know, maybe this time of the year. 
Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, uh, I had come in and we were having an elders meeting and I, we had business scheduled and I got a hold of the elders and I said, we're not going to have any business tonight. I said, guys, I said, I think I'm done. I mean, I just met with these guys. I said, I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm just worn out. I, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. And I remember Gene Anderson uh, looking at me and says, well, we're going to put you away. Wow, that was quick. Uh, But but no, he says, we're going to put you away. We want you to take time off so that you can come back. And so we don't want what you propose. So uh, I was gone for like five weeks. And I remember that part of the cry of my heart was, I I had known about the love of God. I didn't know the love of God. There's the difference. You can have your head full of the, you can quote John 3.16, and you can say, I know God loves me, but do you know God loves you? Has there been this experiential experience within you? And I remember camping out by myself over in Portsmouth. Uh, I had a tent, a little campfire, and I was just, I was was crying, I was sad. I remember reading Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, now get a hold of this, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Did you ever understand what God is saying? God says, I have to strengthen you so that you begin to understand my love. Because his love is so overpowering that he has to strengthen us in order to grasp the, 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 the endless bounds of his love. And I remember for the next couple of days, just going over that prayer more and more and more and listening to sermons by Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones on this prayer and over and over. And it got to the point where I found myself crying out to God and saying, I know about your love, but I don't know your love. And I need to know your love. And so I figured that I was going to come back after five weeks and I was going to take our church through um, a series of sermons on Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Um, I had planned for four sermons, and it ended up being 25. And so because of just the the magnitude of what was going on. And if you're going to know the extent and know what Jesus says to his disciples here, he knows the trials that they're going to go through. They're going to go through some pretty significant trials. And as a result, in, in this process, Jesus is telling them, I have loved you with no limits. I have loved you to the fullness uh, many of you may have read the book by uh, Pastor Burchett. He was a pastor here for uh, a long time. He wrote a book on taking care of his wife. He took care of his wife who had Alzheimer's for 19 years. And Pastor Burchett and uh, his wife were down in Virginia Beach. And they came back. And uh, they were down at South County. She was, she was advanced, didn't recognize him for a long time. And uh, down in South County, she was in the 24-hour ward for, uh, for Alzheimer's. He was living above in an apartment. And I remember going down to see him just to check on him. And I walked down there, and he, uh, uh, he was talking to me. And he said, Jim, where are you taking our church? What's, what do you want to do? And I said, I want us to know the love of Christ. I says, I see the deficiency in my own life. And I said, I want to know the love of Christ. And he looked at me and he stared at me and he said, he says, Jim, you know not what you ask. 
I said, what do you mean, pastor? And he began to tell me what it was like trying to care for his wife. After all, there's 19 years. Think about that, 19 years. And there was a long period of time where she didn't recognize him. And she was angry. And she, he, t- he tells me just the stories of how he didn't think he could go on for another day. And he goes, you know the love of Christ when you have nowhere else but the love of Christ. And so when you look at what Jesus is saying to the disciples, this is what he's saying. He's saying to them is that the trials that you're going to go through, they're going to be severe. And you have no idea what you're going to go through. But I, got it. I want to tell you in advance that I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have loved you with a, with, a, with a fixed love, an unchanging love. And I have loved you to the point is that no matter what you go through, I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and I will always be there for you. So friends, whatever you're going through, whatever it is, your unbelief and your, your even anger or your fear, it is not, it pales in comparison to the conquering power of God's love in your life and that's what he wants these disciples to know he wants these disciples to know that no matter how how severe the trial is is that I have loved you I have loved you with a fixed love and I have loved you with a love that knows no end I have loved you to the point where you will never ever be free or ever be without my love so that's what we see that's what we see in this, um, in this love of God. And there was a great story, and many of you may have known uh, the story of John Fawcett. He uh, wrote the hymn book, wrote the hymn in the 1700s, on Blessed Be the Ties That Bind. Uh, he was a pastor in a small church outside of London, and the, they couldn't pay him much, and he was barely making ends meet. And he got a, he got a, a, a call from a church in London, and the church in London was bigger. Uh, they liked his preaching. They wanted him to pastor. And so him and his wife had decided that they would leave this little country church. And they would go to London to pastor. And they had the wagon all full of their meager things. And, and they were outside of their, their little house. And they were leaving on that day. And the small congregation gathered around uh, the wagon. And they were all crying. They were all sad that their pastor and his wife were leaving them. And he was getting ready to go, and he looked at his wife, and his wife said to him, John, we can't do this. We can't do this. And John said to his wife, I know what you're saying. We can't do this. We can't leave these dear peoples. Unload the wagon. We're not going anywhere. And that's when he wrote, Blessed be the ties that bind. It was the love of Christ controlling his people and the love of Christ that was manifested in that little church that caused him to stay. And this is what he said. Oh, blessed Jesus, your love is wonderful. It is the admiration, joy, and song of glorified saints. The experimental sense of your love on earth sweetens the bitterness of life and disarms death of all its terrors. It was love which moved you to bow the heavens, to come down and sojourn on earth, to humble yourself, to take on you the form of a servant and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You pitied me in my lost estate. You sought and found me when I sought you not. You spoke peace to me in the day of my distress. When the clouds of guilt and darkness hung heavy on my soul and I was brought to the borders of despair, you have borne with all my weakness, corrected my mistakes, 
restored my wanderings, healed my backslidings. May your loving kindness be ever before my eyes to induce me to walk in your truth. May your love be the daily theme of my meditations and the constant joy of my heart. That's the extent that Christ revealed himself to John and his wife. And friends, that's the extent that he wants us to know it as well. It was the extent that Pastor Bur- Burchett knew the, the love of Christ. And he wanted to tell me, he says, you will only know the love of Christ when you're willing to go through the deep waters of affliction. When you're ready to go through the deep waters of sorrow and trial, then his love will be so special that you will thank him for the affliction. You will thank him for the suffering. Now let's move on to verses 2 through 5. So the first thing we see in verse, verse 1 is the extent of Christ's love. And I pray that your heart will, will hunger just to know his love, just experience his love. The extent of his love is fixed on his sheep. It knows no bounds. Now let's take a look at the impartiality of his love. Verses 2 through 5. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, and he laid his garments aside, and he took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. Not a word. He didn't say a word. He just gets up. Now you, you know they're wondering what's going on. What's happening? He's going around. He's going around and he's washing feet. Now as you're sitting at that table, you're thinking, whoa. And he goes to Judas. And he washes Judas like he washed Peter. And like he washed John. That would not have hit home to them until after till after he, the betrayer left. And so what we see in the tremendous love of Christ is the impartiality of his love is he even showed it towards Judas. Even showed it towards Judas. Have you ever found it in your own life that you have people that have hurt you? You've had Christians that have betrayed you. You've had Christians that perhaps have said nice things to your face and then gossiped about you behind you? Have you had those type of things and you got wind of it? Did you ever have a hard time loving them? Did you ever have um, um, that sense that you see them and that they're on one side of the church and you'll go down the other side of the church perhaps? Or maybe you just avoid them altogether. Or maybe you want to respond in kind. Imagine what Jesus just did. He showed impartiality. He showed an impartiality which would have left such an impact on those disciples. He washed Judas as well as the others. And Jesus would model what he preached. In Matthew 5, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you've heard what has been said. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father. He says, not only pray for those who persecute you, but love your enemies. This also extends to us in a, in a family of God. One of the worst things that can happen in a church is for love to be partial. Love to be partial. And so I would challenge you, you know, on Sundays in, uh, in particular when you see, because God has been faithful to us. He's brought us visitors uh, almost every week ever, ever since COVID. And so uh, do you gravitate towards the same people every Sunday? 
do you find yourself in your own little circle of, uh, be careful, be careful. Is that there's people here that perhaps have been here for months that you don't know. Uh, I would challenge you to make it a, uh, uh, make it a point to get out of your comfort zone. And it sometimes is difficult. I got that. You know, but make it a point to uh, be impartial. Show that to, because uh, there's someone's coming here that, that are here for a reason. God has brought them for a reason. And he's brought them because they, they need loved. They need loved. So, we see then um, the first point is the love of Christ in the extent of it. It's fixed on his sheep. It knows no bounds. It's impartial. He showed, he, he treated the disciples, even the betrayer, on equal footing when it came to the act of love. And that also would, would reveal to us that just this, and you know this, but I want to remind you of this, is that love is always an action. Love is always an action. Verses 3 through 5, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Do you notice the quality of Jesus' service here? It was not convenient. It was not glamorous. It was simple. It was not convenient. It was not glamorous. It was simple. In, your, in living your Christian life, and I know you're like me, is that the greatest challenge you're going to have in your Christian life it won't be the sins of commission. I, I said this to you last Sunday, uh, last Sunday, but it won't be the sins of commission. None of you are going to walk out of here and commit some heinous crime tonight. None of you are going to go out there and do some, some heinous sin against, uh, uh, against your family or against uh, uh, society. Your greatest danger will be sins of omission. It'll be sins of neglect. It'll be sins of the one another commands. And so you go through those periods and you find your spiritual life kind of just dull or routine, maybe lack joy, or perhaps the, the love of Christ is not thrilling your soul. It could very well be that there is a passivity in your life that you are not committing overt sin, but you are committing sins of omission. Is it all the one another commands? is that they are negligent in your life. And that's not an accusation against you. I find this to be so true in my life. It's the sins of omission. I can do so much the work of the Lord at the expense of not doing the commands of the Lord. And that's, that's a danger because that truth not acted upon or commands not obeyed, that will warm your heart. That will chill your heart. It'll cause you to be cold in your heart. And so what we have with Jesus then, when it comes to the impartiality of his love that he models for us, is that he was willing to bring Judas into that non-glamorous, you know, very simple, very inconvenient service. And so he becomes a model for us in that as well. So there's the extent, there's the impartiality. Now look at verse 6. There's the patience there's a patience in his love. Obviously, the greatest display of God's love is, is the cross, is the cross of Christ. We, 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 we hold on to that. Do you know what the second greatest display of God's love in the life of his children is, and even the life of humanity? It's his patience. Look in your life as a Christian. Look in your life as a Christian. Has God not showed to you tremendous patience 
Has he not been patient with you when you've been, uh, as we'll see here in Peter's case, ignorant or impulsive? I marvel over God's patience. I marvel how, because I know better. And yet he continues to shower patience in his love. In verse 6, he came to Simon Peter. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And I, I find it so, um, a good study of Peter. You see, you see both these things in his life repeatedly. I mean, he's, he's, he's commanding the creator. You're not going to, no. No, you're not going to do this. And then when he denied him, Jesus is going to deny me. And Peter says, no, no, you're wrong. I won't. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, if I do not wash, you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said, well, then, Lord, not only my feet, but then do it all. Wash all of me. Peter was ignorant. And Jesus would say to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now. But afterwards, you will understand. Jesus could have rebuked him. He did not. He said soon, it was very soon he would. Very soon he would reveal to him what the washing of the feet meant. But how many times does God not tell us what he's doing? Or why he's doing it? And that it may take a long time or we may not ever. What about Job? Did Job get impatient with uh, God? He did. Did Job show an ignorance of, uh, of God's dealings? He did. And what did God give Job overall? He gave, gave him a heavy dose of patience. A heavy dose. Job argued with God. He, he certainly, uh, if he didn't, he was close to blasphemy God. Um, and through all these, he told God he mischaracterized him. And in Job 42, Job got it. God showed his patience to Job and Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Now, that wasn't what he said in the beginning. Many times he tried to argue with his buddies, you know, that he was smarter than them. He got quite defensive. He says, therefore, I have suffered, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. That's a confession. That's a confession of ignorance. And in his ignorance, God responded to him with patience, as he will with us. And that's one of the great, uh, one of the great, displays of God's love and his patience is how ignorant we are. And I can, I, I, if I was to sit down with every one of you, and, and uh, a lot of you, if not all of you, have been Christians for a long time. If I was to sit down and talk to you about your Christian journey, you would come to the point you'd say, I thought I knew so much and I know so little. I mean, that's true. I'm not saying you don't have knowledge, but you'll see uh, as you were growing up, how many times did you think you had something figured out when you really didn't? And God has showed patience with you as you've gone through. I look back now and I think, oh, what a wonderful patience of God. How many times did I utter things that I thought I knew that I did not really? And so this is exactly what Job is saying. But then we also have, <clears throat> we also have God's patience with Peter in his impulsiveness. And I mentioned to that, uh, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. And... Um, Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you shall have no share with me. Then Peter says, then give me a bath. And Simon Peter, he was quite impulsive. Um, and Jesus uh, shows more patience. 
says, the one who is bathed does not need wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. One of the things that is most dangerous in the Christian life is impulsiveness. Is you can be impulsive when it comes to service. You can be impulsive when you uh, are making commitments. Uh, Be very careful that you don't make uh, impulsive commitments. That that's public, or that you say something to someone that you're going to do. Make your yes be yes, your no be no. Be very careful of impulsiveness. Proverbs twenty one five says this: the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Now we will see that in Peter's denial. Was it not impulsive? The Lord makes this prophetic statement. Peter says, no, I will never deny you. I will even die for you. And there's a little verb in the Gospels that it says that all the disciples said the same thing. They just waited. Peter said it so that we're not going to let him one-up us. We're not going to deny you either. Excuse me, we're not going to deny you either, Lord. And what happens? Every one of them did. But they had a leader. Understand that, that we influence people all the time. We are constantly in the influence mode, whether you're, you're an office bearer in the church, whether you're the head of your home, whether you're the noble calling of a home educator, you're a mom, a wife, whatever it would be, we are always influencing people, always. And, and what, be careful, because there's always people watching us. And it's imperative that we're not impulsive when it comes to spiritual things how damaging it is to a younger Christian when they look at you as as a mature Christian and you make a hasty decision, a hasty commitment, and then when the the excitement wears down and the call to faithfulness wears in, is upon you, then you just kind of pull away. You may cause someone to stumble because of your impulsiveness. Well, even in our impulsiveness, the Lord is patient. The Lord is kind. So how does the Lord love us? He loves us with uh, a fixed love, a love that knows no bounds. He loves us with an impartial love, go and do likewise. He loves us with a patient love, go and do likewise. And now finally, in verses 12 through 17, we have the real unfolding of the lesson. And that's the example from his love. And I'm only going to give you two points on this. The example from his love. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place... He said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you see the distinction? It isn't the knowing Christian, it's the knowing and doing Christian that knows Christ's love. But here's the example of his love. You know this, but I'm going to remind you of this. It is humility driven. It is humility driven. The greatest virtue in the Christian life is not love, it's humility. Because when there's no humility, there's no love. And so love, love is what is the, is, the, is the fruit that flows or grows from the soil of a heart that has been seasoned by the humility uh, made by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, listen, I'm teacher and Lord, I'm creator, I'm, I'm everything, and yet I've washed your feet. Jesus did not lean on his role or he did not lean on his title, 
uh, to display the type of love that we are displayed to one another. There's not a single area of service that none of it is. It's not <clears throat> beneath any of us to do. Nothing. Is it, I don't care what the title is. I don't care what the role is. All of us are foot-washing servants of one another. All of us are called to be foot-washing servants to one another. And in that context is that you enhance the love of, gro- of, uh, love of Christ, not only in your own life, but also in the life of other people. I, uh, I shared this story numerous times, but it's been so long, and it's really struck home to me, is that, <clears throat> is that humility-driven service doesn't look to be recognized. It doesn't have to be recognized. In fact, it loathes being recognized. But it's demonstrated by action. But it's action that does not look to have a little bit of recognition. Joy and I were married for about a month. And I was on shore duty in Roanoke. And uh, I'd been, I was only a Christian for two years. Uh, we had developed a good friendship. Joy had known these two people uh, forever. We still keep in tap. tap. He's, a, he's a pastor up in Upper State New York. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, his name was Scott. His, uh, his wife's name was Kat. She was the senior pastor's secretary. Uh, he was, uh, he was uh, on, the, on the pastoral staff. He was also teaching at the school. He was heavily involved in, in a lot of different stuff. Um, well-known, well-loved, um, and they loved us to pieces. Well, I went to work uh, after a weekend, and the phone rang, and it was my mother, and she was, she was hysterical. And she says, where have you been? I've been trying to get a hold of you all weekend. And I said, what's up? She says, you have to come home. Your brother has been in a car accident. And I said, well, how bad? And she said, it's the worst. He's dead. And she hung up. And, you know, he's 15 months younger than me, only, only other uh, sibling I had. And so obviously the shock of that, I mean, you're, you're, you're just, in, you're numb. And so I look at my executive officer there, and he looked at me, and he says, go, just go. He says, uh, don't worry about anything, just go. So I went up to the school, and Joy was there as the assistant pastor's secretary and teaching business in the high school. And uh, I was looking for her. We had to get on the road. We got six, six hours. I got to get, get home. And so I walk uh, over there, and Scott was one of those practical jokers. He always, he was, he would always play in jokes. And so he uh, saw me, and he started ribbing me like always. And I was, I was, I was pale. I was in a state of... You know, just, what's going on? And, and I'm a young Christian. I mean, I don't know. And, and I said, Scott, I, I need to find joy. I need to find joy. And so I kind of mumbled what happened. So he got, we got on the road and we took off. Six hours. And so <clears throat> we get up there and there's no Christians in my house. Uh, so I'm a first generation Christian. And um, all the people, the neighbors and friends, small towns, Mayberry, everybody's there. They're trying to console each other. No one can because they got no God. And so it's, uh, it's, it's just sad. And it wasn't long after. It was another <clears throat> six or seven hours. You know, there was a knock on the door. And I went over there, and it was Scott. And it was Cat. They had left work and got in a car, and they drove all the way up there six hours, and they came there, and they got into the house, and he looked at me and said, listen, um, we're just going to sit here in the living room. Off to, we won't bother anybody. We'll just sit here. We'll pray for you, and we'll be here for you. As long as you need us, we'll be here. And I thought, and that, that left such an impact on me. You know what that was? 
that was the love of Christ with feet on it. And they went out of their way, took off work, unpaid to come to be with us, and was going to be there as long as we needed them to be there. They were mature Christians. I was a young Christian. And so I'm reeling over all of this. I say all that is because they didn't seek any fanfare. They weren't seeking any attention. They just loved us because we were their brothers and sister in the Lord, and they wanted to be Christ to us. And that's what Jesus is saying to these disciples. I am Lord and teacher. I have every right to be recognized for who I am. But yet, I'm going to wash your feet. And I'm going to wash your feet without any desire for recognition. And I want you to go do the same thing. And by the way, if you know to do it, but you don't do it, then you don't love. You must know and you must do. And John tells us in 1 John 3, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And do you want to know if we're manifesting the love of Christ to one another? Number one, the service has to be humility-driven, which means it has action with any desire for recognition, any desire for any type of fanfare. I found this little story. I thought it was very interesting. You know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna quit. Have you ever thought of it that only the smaller birds sing? You never heard a note from an eagle in all your life nor from the turkey, nor from the ostrich. But you have heard from the canary, the wren, and the lark. The sweetest music comes from those Christians who are small in their own estimation and before the Lord. It's the little birds that sing the song, sing the, song the most. There was a man named, I'll close with this little, uh, this little um, saying from Dr. Bonar, Andrew Bonar. He was a contemporary of Robert Murray McShane. Uh, some of those Scottish guys of the uh, 19th century. Bonar once said this, he could always tell when a Christian was growing in proportion to his growth in grace, he would elevate his master. He would talk less of what he was doing and become smaller and smaller in his own esteem until like the morning star, he faded away before the rising sun. He always knew that a Christian was growing in grace when he would elevate his master talk less of what he was doing, and become smaller and smaller in his own esteem until he was like the morning star that faded away with the rising sun. Christ gives us the, gives us the greatest experience we could ever have. And I pray that you hunger to know his love because that's what will make a difference in our homes, in our church, in our communities, our workplaces. It will be the Christian who knows the love of Christ experientially and knowledge-wise, that transforms, that controls, that tells the world around us that there is a God, a God who loves to the fullest possible, a love that is impartial, a love that is impatient, that is patient, and a love that is exemplified by sacrificial action bathed in humility. May God help us to be just that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do love us, and I praise you that it's not contingent upon us. I thank you that uh, you maintain a fixed love on us. Thank you for your son who has demonstrated that by the cross, by his patience, by his example. And Lord, may we uh, practice this more and more as an outflow of our own personal experience of Christ's love that we would hunger to know the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth, and to be filled with the fullness of God. 
that we'd be foot-washing servants of each other, that we'd understand that it's never convenient, that it's never glamorous, it's simple. And Father, help us to, to not be duped. Help us not to fall prey to the, uh, to the deception of, of passivity and that the sins of omission are tolerated. May that not be true of us. Thank you, Father, for the weekend. Thank you for a winter weekend with all the youth. We pray that the, the messages they heard would be transformational. And I ask that you'd help us to love this week. And we look forward to uh, greater displays of that among each other. And Father, just protect us as we go home now in Jesus' name. Amen.